Okay, welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Tuesday, September 26th, and uh, a great privilege to have Dale Henderson, the CEO of Pilbara Minerals, uh, on for the second time. We've had Ken Brinsden on a few other times, but uh, it was almost exactly a little bit more than 12 months ago, the end of August, uh, you joined us when you recently had just joined as CEO uh, for Pilbara Dale. So I think it's timely to get an update with the market, um, uh, you know, pricing going down quite a bit, but you just had your annual results. You paid a nice big fat dividend, uh, contrary to my um, suggesting last year that uh, you hold off on giving dividends, but I don't know if you anticipated as much cash flow. Uh, so you have a combination of uh, those things. Before we start today's video, we'd like to thank our two sponsors, Brianfield Services Company, Zalandez, and investor, Lithium Royalty Corp, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker symbol LIRC. We'll share more about these sponsors later in the video. But I want to start just uh, for viewers who are maybe not familiar with Pilbara, because we often assume, um, you know, our listeners have you know, more knowledge uh, about the industry than, than they might. Uh, so I just want to talk a bit about the, the journey of Pilbara from 2015, 2016, when um, I first started paying attention and we're going to put up a stock chart, you know, from that point, you know, until today, and obviously went through some difficult period uh, in the 2018, 19, you know, 20 period and have recovered greatly. Uh, and I compare that to um, what I witnessed in iron ore. Like I've been doing this for a long time, you know, 20 years in the resource space. I did a lot of work in iron ore and in Western Australia. You worked for a Fortescue chart. Um, for a long period of time, you know, looked similar to Pilbara's chart. They have a 20 year history. Um, but uh, Pilbara, I've called you the new force in lithium, called Pilbara the new force in lithium. Uh, Fortescue uh, was the new force in iron ore. Today, Fortescue is, uh, you know, a 61 billion Aussie market cap. Uh, they paid hefty dividends along the way. They're currently at an 8% dividend yield. Uh, Pilbara is a 12 billion Aussie market cap, and according to Yahoo, has a 6.6, uh, you know, dividend yield. So I think they're somewhat comparable. But for those who think or may think, you know, they missed the Pilbara run, you know, from 12 billion, you know, to 60 billion. If you are uh, another Fortescue, uh, that's another five times uplift from here potentially. So I just wanted, can you talk a bit about your background at FMG, you know, before you became the chief operating officer at Pilbara, you also have some history with Chevron and Oxy, Occidental Petroleum. Uh, so you can bring some oil uh, industry perspective here. And uh, yeah, and if we could just like make some comparisons between iron ore, you know, spodumene uh, and how you see, you know, these markets similar and different. Yeah, for sure. No, thanks, Howard. Thanks, Rodney. Uh, great to be back. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a, a trip uh, down memory lane um, uh, there, thinking back on my FMJ, FMG days and really the evolution of iron ore. Um, but just to give the, the quick snapshot on my history, yeah, mixed bag of, of different resource companies, uh, some oil and gas, LNG, uh, iron ore, and dare I say, it, uh, actually a bit of coal. Um, out of university way back in the day, uh, which I'm, it's almost a bit ashamed to admit these days. Um, I, may, I think I'm making up for it now. Um, as to my period with FMG, yeah, I enjoyed um, 
being part of um, a, a tumultuous growth ride there, both the growth ride plus the cost down journey uh, when the iron ore crunch came. So quite senior roles um, and, and several chapters there. Um, as to the, you know, the parallels between FMG and Pilbara's journey, look, firstly flattered uh, by the comparison, uh, FMG's journey has been something quite extraordinary. Um, there are some parallels, I think, in terms of uh, the industry changing significantly. Um, in the case of, of iron ore, uh, that landscape changed quite significantly. But I think in the case of lithium, uh, even more so, it's just been the emergence of essentially a whole new industry. Um, as you guys appreciate, you know, going back in time, you know, the only hard rock operation globally was, of course, green bushes. Um, and then in the last sort of 12 years, we've had a few other operators, uh, the likes of uh, Minres, Mount Marion, Mount Catlin, um, you know, Galaxy, um, who then, of course, have effectively folded into the LCAM um, uh, branding. Um, you know, we've had, you know, a rapid emergence of, of the lithium industry. So um, it's a bit uh, difficult to see where does it all head. Um, my journey with Pilbara started in, in 2017. Uh, so I was uh, in time to see sort of this first uptick around 2018. And then, as you highlighted in your opening, the sort of downturn or, or lithium winter, as we've characterized it during 2019, 2020, saw all of that. And now on the other side of that and have enjoyed, you know, this quite remarkable 18, 18 or so months where we've en enjoyed some strong pricing. So uh, it's been a, a tumultuous, uh, a short journey. Um, but Pilbara finds itself in a pretty amazing position. You know, one of the few uh, major um, raw material supplier for this burgeoning industry. Uh, we've got a healthy uh, balance sheet. Uh, we've got five years of operating experience under the belt and we've got some pretty ex exciting uh, growth and expansion plans. So we find ourselves in a pretty good spot. So Dale, looking at uh, your latest corporate presentation, you've achieved roughly 620,000 tonnes of spodumene production in 2023, which would suggest that you're getting close or on target for the P680, the initial uh, ramp, and then um, you've got uh, the P1000 uh, a target. Can you sort of give us an update on when and how things are going there? Yeah, sure. So the P680 uh, expansion project is essentially construction complete. Uh, commissioning's underway uh, this quarter and next quarter, December quarter, is effectively the ramp up um, of that uh, incremental step up and expansion. So as we enter uh, the new calendar year, we should be at that new nameplate um, capacity of 680,000 tonnes per annum. So that's the P680. Uh, as it relates to the P1000, uh, targeting first or quarter three of FY25, uh, that project is effectively deep into design mode right now. Um, long lead uh, materials being ordered and all on track effectively. So effectively mid calendar year 25, that should be largely construction complete and heading into a ramp up period. Okay, great. And um... I've noticed that you've materially increased your ore reserve to around 210 million tonnes. Um, I think that equated to, based on the assumptions you had there, about a 34-year mine life. So would it be fair to say that 
once you get to the P1000, you've still got a lot of, you've got some headroom to expand beyond that? Yeah, ho hopefully, uh, Rodney. Um, yeah, fantastic step up in reserve. I mean, we already had a, an enormous resource in reserve and to add another 35% was, was just a massive leap. Um, and because we've got obviously more ore in the ground, we are now turning our mind to that question around what can we do to lift the production capacity even further above the P1000 or the million tonne per annum um, project. So uh, the answer to that is, is we'll, we need to get the studies done. So we're entering study mode now. Once we've done those studies, that'll inform how much larger we can go above P1000. So um, as to that study timeline, we'll, We'll, we'll be guiding that actually as part of our next. Okay, uh, great. Update. And just to finish off on that line, I, I'm, you've got a, you've still got some drilling or exploration you're doing. So, you know, there's still scope to go even further and expand further. Yeah, yeah we hope so. Um, yeah, we've had a fantastic uh, resource and reserve conversion from drilling. Um, the more we drill, the more we seem to find, which is brilliant. So, we're going to keep going. Uh, John Holmes, our, our long-standing exploration manager, um, I've said to him, look, you, you got 35% this year. What are you going to do next year? Um, he, uh, he's not, obviously not expecting that type of uplift, but uh, we'll keep going because it's one of the best ways we can continue to add more value uh, for our shareholders. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that sort of people forget. If you look at the incremental, that's what some new projects are hoping for in total. So uh, it is very impressive. Um, uh, Dale, I've seen, you know, there's been some good work and progress on the midstream uh, demo plant side. When uh, are you hoping to have some meaningful output from that demo plant? Yeah, it's a little way off, uh, Rodney. That, that project is sort of engineering procurement mode at the, as we speak. Uh, by June quarter uh, next year, we should be into construction. Um, targeting first uh, production actually by sort of September quarter next year, all going well, and then ramp up to follow. And I suspect that ramp up would be probably around March quarter 25, calendar 25. So essentially from now, it's going to be a year and a half effectively of build, commissioning uh, and ramp and, up. And uh, in terms of uh, the focus, you know, initially, a lot of the spodumen is headed, you know, to China. Is the midstream? Are you thinking more along the lines of offtakers uh, elsewhere? Is this a sort of ex-China focus when you go midstream? Yeah, possibly. Um, the way we've thought about midstream, we've thought about it from a very simplistic angle of, gee, there's got to be a better product for market than spodumen concentrate. What can we do to add more value at the resource and, and bring a better product to market? Uh, so the idea of midstream is, of course, do a couple more processing steps at the mine site, uh, stop short of the steps required to take it all the way through to a battery grade product, but in the process, materially upgrade the spodumene concentrate to achieve a higher concentrate lithium product, a more sustainable uh, product through more sustainable methods. Uh, and through doing that, hopefully a much more valuable product. Um, now, if that all goes well, well, it could be deployed not only to our existing customer set, but we could well go and deploy that to maybe one of the emerging battery hubs elsewhere in the globe. Um, so it's definitely a possibility. Right. And um, in terms of um, 
where we stand now, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on how many takers there are uh, ex China for the product everyone wants, but we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how that evolves. Um, to all our viewers uh, watching now, I want to let you know um, we, we're recording. We recorded a long version of this uh, available only to our Patreon subscribers, and we also releasing it, you know, a number of days earlier than uh, for wide release. So just a reminder, if you like this content, please subscribe to our channel, give a like, give a comment, but also if you want proprietary early access, extended cuts and other um, benefits, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, maybe one-on-one -on -one access or exclusive webinars, uh, sign up to our Patreon page at the $100 and $300 tiers. And if you just, uh, in general, um, have been watching us for a little while uh, and have been benefited from our content, um, you know, reach into your, your pocket for 10 bucks a month, like the cost of uh, two cups of coffee a month, uh, you know, just consider us like your barista at uh, Starbucks um, and, uh, and sign up as a Patreon. Uh, my, my next question is uh, no doubt how it's going to touch on again further, but you've got over 3 billion in cash and you've got a decent free cash flow coming in from Spodium and Concentrate to cover dividends. So, um, you know, uh, how much of the cash balances, uh, you know, earmarked, you know, beyond CapEx, you know, what is the possibilities with the balance of that cash? What are you thinking? Yeah, at, at this stage, well, we're very much doing our homework around um, whether there should be any changes to our, our capital management uh, framework. Uh, so we're doing several bits of homework right now, which will come together. And if there's to be a change of the capital management framework, we'll most likely update the market late in the December quarter on that. Um, so until such time, no, no real changes around how we're thinking about that um, at this stage. So what that means as per our capital management framework, um, we've got a 30% um, payout ratio tied to um, a free cash flow uh, metric um, with the rest of the proceeds serving um, effectively the org organic growth profile plus then um, and allowing provisions to move else to move proceeds to other aspects, which could be share buybacks and organic growth uh, and the like. So on that line, uh, obviously doing those calculations, one needs to have forecasts and make projections. So the million dollar question I'm putting on the spot because uh, I've been struggled, struggling to make sense of, of how things are going. How do you see the state of this Bodgeman concentrate market? Yeah, well, I get this question a bit. I wish you had sure. the exact answer for me. Do. Um, it is, <laughs> yeah. Um, look, um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly challenging to get um, a clear see through to, to the fundamentals, um, and as always, um, the market keeps us uh, scratching our head somewhat. Um, I'll offer my reflections a little around the long-term outlook and then I bring it back to more of the short dated outlook of what we see long-term outlook. Um, you know, we we remain enormously positive around the evolution of this industry and the position Pilbara um, um, has within it. We see a long-term structural deficit, which we think is just a, a fantastic opportunity and Pilbara minerals being 
early to the party is positioned incredibly well as a major operator with a low cost base to to yield hopefully impressive margins uh, for many years to come, much like what we've enjoyed, particularly over this last 18 months. But being a new industry, it's been volatile. Um, so the question is, well, well, where to from here? Um, look, what gives us confidence is um, first and foremost on the demand side. Um, you know, we view the, the data, everyone else views around uh, EV buying. Uh, those numbers look constructive and positive, albeit uh, within the China market, we haven't seen quite the same compounding growth rates. They've still been very healthy. And then outside of the Chinese market, there's still been some you know, very strong EV growth rates. And then there's mass energy storage as well, which seems to be coming forth and, and actually surprising some. So demand side looks pretty good. Um, and then as you step through the supply chain, we see um, effectively no bottlenecks, whether that's the, the car making, the battery making, the cathode making, the chemical making, and that leaves the supply side. Now on the supply side, uh, again, we feel fairly positive that you know, supply will be slower. Granted, there's been some supply uh, coming from Africa and there's been some ramp up on, on lipidolite. But I think the, if I bring it back to pricing, the overarching um, driver we've seen um, having a bearing on pricing has been what, what we call sentiment buying, um, particularly for the Chinese market. We, we note that um, the buying behavior can often be sentiment driven uh, versus driven necessarily by stock levels. And historically, what we've seen is when pricing is on a decline side or if sentiment is poor, um, that gets exacerbated because on mass people don't buy. And then conversely, as the market turns, we see the opposite effect where there can be this mad scramble uh, of buying. Um, and typically speaking, within the Chinese market, most contracts are very short dated, which sort of exacerbates this um, quick response to um, those shifts in, in sentiment moods. Can I just interject to follow up uh, on that, Rodney? Um, you say sentiment driven, driven buying. Okay, they're pulling back, they're holding low inventory levels. You know, how do you assess those inventory levels and, and when you know the pullback from the buying you know, stops and then the panic sets in, you know, when the, the price starts, you know, going up again. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, when you look at the supply side and you sum through those supply sources and, the, you know, the ones you list are, are all publicly available and you add the other uh, supplies, which are maybe a bit more challenging to, to get a read on, but you make some assessments around that. And then you, so we, of course, do a sort of a, a stack sum of that. And then we cast our mind to, well, what's the demand side doing and where is demand heading? And I think the key piece of the equation here is which outpaces which. Does demand outpace supply or does supply outpace demand? Uh, and it's hard not to see supply struggle to meet the demand when you look at some of these uh, compounding growth rates we've seen uh, in EVs. Supply is just... Uh, and you guys appreciate this, it's just slow to come to market as a function of the challenge of bringing these uh, natural resource projects online. Um, you know, more money does not equal necessarily a, a quicker project. It, it, it helps, but 
the development of these uh, mines, just, it just takes time. And uh, hence we think, um, yeah, Pilbara's got this opportunity to really exploit um, as demand continues to ratchet up, we should be able to ratchet up supply quicker than others. And, um, and if we can enjoy the periods like we've just had, well, there should be some fantastic periods of high margins to, to enjoy for our shareholders. Thanks for that, Dale. In terms of um, ex-China conversion capacity, you know, what are your, what is, what are Pilbara's thinking about how quickly ex-China conversion can come online? Everyone wants it. Everyone wants closed loop supply chains, but, you know, is the reality going to tie in with a lot of battery cell announcements, you know, plants, but, you know, where are we going to see, um, uh, you know, aside cathodes another thing but uh you know conversion capacity for battery grade chemicals outside of china how do you see that landscape yeah i think it's um yeah the, i think that the jury's not out on, on where the long-term battery materials hubs for the globe will reside i mean yeah china has been to their credit, you know, the home of the lithium ion supply chain that they built every aspect of it. And of course, they've attained global dominance at this point. So then everyone's asking, well, well, where are they going to be the new battery hubs globally? Um, so the jury's not out. Um, our view is that South Korea, I think, stands a really good chance given it's got an existing battery materials hub. Uh, we think the, the cost base is, is pretty good. And we see some really progressive steps happening in that space. And, uh, and of course, our joint venture with, with POSCO sort of speaks to, um, you know, our, our belief um, in that domicile as a, an emerging hub. Jumping in here from the editing room to tell you about our two sponsors, Zalandez and Lithium Royalty Corp. Zalandez provides services in subsurface data visualization, downhole geophysics, and other services for lithium brine operations. They just expanded into North America. And no matter where you sit in the brine industry, Zalandez can help you speed up and improve your projects. Go to zalandez.com for more. Lithium Royalty Corp is at the center of a global energy transition and manages a globally diversified portfolio of lithium focused royalties in electrification and decarbonization. With 32 royalties on 29 higher grade, lower cost projects, from exploration to production, LIRC covers all the bases with well-managed risk, ESG considerations, and a scalable royalty structure. Lithium Royalty Corp is traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange ticker symbol LIRC. To find out more, visit lithiumroyaltycorp.com. The last uh, question from me, Dale, is... Um... You know, I guess this is an important one as you analyze and look across, you know, upstream and downstream. Do you see the margin split uh, remaining in favor of miners for the foreseeable to, you know, midterm? Or do you see, um, will the downstream, you know, the midstream and the chemical converters, converters start to see their margins improve relative to, to the miners? Yeah, I think um, whilst raw, raw materials uh, is the supply constraint, I think the lion's share of the margin will continue to reside with the raw material supplier, uh, which of course is great for a group like, like Pilbara. 
Um, but I'll just add that does not mean that there, there won't be some healthy margins to make um, in the chemical conversion, particularly for those competent chemical converters whom are achieving the right quality requirements and selling their products into the markets which appreciate uh, those quality requirements. And further, if those markets uh, are able to access the IRA or, or other support benefits, there could be um, some healthy margin in our view um, in chemical conversion. Okay, I wanna go back, um, recall correctly, your long-term spodumene concentrate price is 14.50, is that right? That, that's what we've used for our reserve calc, correct? Yeah. Oh, okay. And which, which could, which is typically, um, most groups choose a fairly conservative value. When you think about your capital management, as you said, you're, you're, you're going to regroup in December. What informs your shorter term forecast? Well, yeah, you've got to take a view on the supply demand balance and it, it's hard to see, um, yeah, chemicals dropping below say 20,000 us. And, and we hear from some of the. Chinese counterparties talking about, say, 200,000 RMB um, being a floor, effectively. This is some of the opinions we hear. And that's quite a different view of the floor that we had a few years back. So uh, we take a lot of comfort from what we hear um, around that. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't hazard a guess on exactly what where the midterm uh, pricing uh, will go, because undoubtedly, um, we'll get it wrong. Right. Okay. Uh, and prices are higher, but inflation is very evident. And I remember the first feasibility studies for Pilbara, where the forecasted cash costs would be, I think, 250, right? Uh, US. What are your current costs now? Operating costs? I think we guided in the range of um, uh, 600 to 690 uh, per tonne. Um, sorry, 600 to 670 uh, per ton um, FOB per, per dry metric ton for uh, FY24. Uh, so definitely, it's definitely moved moved north from um, historically what what we were looking to achieve. Going back to our comparison to iron ore, I remember Fortescue when I first was looking at it 20 years ago. They were forecasting price to be like their cost to be I don't know 40 or 50 dollars, right? You know and it, 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 and if the price of iron ore was 100 or 150, as it was, you know, they'd make a lot of money, but their costs have gone down enormously. I think they were, you know, between, I don't know, 15, 12, 15, you know, $20. So can you see that happening in lithium and spodumene production? What contributed to all those cost savings at, at Fortescue? Um, and is it applicable for Pilbara or others in the industry? Yeah, I think there's definitely opportunity to continue to reduce the cost base and uh, looking at our, our particular asset, there's, we've got quite a number of cost down initiatives. Um, we, we've got our, we're either progressing or have our eye on for the future. And that ranges from a different power solution to haulage moving from where you currently use triples, moving triples to quads. If I think about uh, our port outloading, we use uh, retainer boxes, which are the, uh, to load the vessels. Uh, we're in discussions uh, with the Pilbara Ports Authority about direct outloading facilities, so conveyors, shiploader, 
and then there's outright um, recovery improvements at the mine site. Uh, now, does that do I see a world where our cost of production halves, uh, like we, to the example you mentioned around FMG, I think that's highly unlikely. But do I see lots more incremental cost out over the years to come? Yes, I do. If we could start, uh, firstly, I guess you as a another partner, you know, as a target, you know, the status of your process, you know, of auctioning, you know, the 300,000 tons of spodumene, um, I think there was... Um, I mean, there was a first pass, you talked about having like 70 interested parties and that you would narrow that to some kind of short list. So like, could you talk to the nature of the potential partners, you know, China versus non-China, big auto, big battery, big mining, big chemical, big oil, are they all in the mix or some um, more prevalent than others? And do you have an uh, inclination for or against any of those um, as partners, sure, yeah. The um, so the the offer to market, as you say, was uh, three hundred thousand tons of spodumene, and we quite and for that we, we quite purposely went to market with quite an open offer. We just said three hundred thousand tons of spodumene um, for the purpose of a joint venture. Um, as to what that joint venture is, we're open to all ideas. That was the offer to market. Um, as to uh, the level of inquiry coming back, uh, as you'd imagine, it was pretty significant. Um, yeah, 70 plus credible groups um, interested. And we've moved forward with the process where we've been working with a, a smaller subset of, of that total group. What's the composition of, of that group? Um, yeah, there's some real diversity in that. But of course, um, our, our core customers are a part of that, as you'd expect. Um, there are uh, chemical converters, um, there are um, OEMs, and there's some other uh, groups who, whom don't fit into to those particular buckets I just described. So there is a, a spectrum of, of different groups. Um, and these commitments and these types of joint ventures, they're multi-decade commitments, uh, as we did with Aposco. Um, so... And we've only got so much war in the ground. So we've got to get these decisions right and make sure that if we are to sign away that 300,000 tons, it's uh, for the right deal and we're getting the best deal possible for our shareholders. So um, early in the process, plenty more work to be done. Um, we've guided that we'll be updating the market on the process in the March quarter. Um, now until then, um, lots of work effectively in the process maturing uh, those opportunities. Okay. And uh, so you have the beachhead with POSCO in Korea. Um, is it important that you have another beachhead in Europe or North America, or it just depends on the deal? Depends on the deal, definitely. Um, the As a general principle, as a business, we've always liked the idea of diversification because that makes good business sense. Uh, so we always had this idea that um, we wanted to not be completely have all our eggs effectively in the China basket. And the POSCO deal, um, where we sort of signed up the bones of that in early 2018, was largely about that type of diversification. Um, fast forward to today, um, the thing we've got to weigh up is that question that we that, that piece we talked about earlier around 
well, what is the confidence around these new battery hub domiciles elsewhere in the world? Um, when are they going to be emerging? What's the risks around uh, participating in that versus the opportunity of concentrating in either South Korea or, or, or China? So um, we haven't taken a view on all of that, um, but obviously we'll have to um, as we progress um, evaluating these different options. And it's just a function of where the industry's at. Um, there's a quite a spectrum of different maturity levels as um, as we all observe the industry evolving. Okay, very helpful. Um, and uh, now I want to talk about just overall M and A because you uh, there's a lot happening in Western Australia, um, and you know you're seeing Minres, you're seeing Hancock. You're seeing IGO's name, you know, Albemarle um, with Liontown and also in uh, Patriot uh, SQM, you know, uh, but you haven't seen uh, Pilbara's name. You've heard, you know, rumored, <laughs> but you haven't seen Pilbara either taking minority stakes like Minrez has or on market buying like Albemarle and Hancock and Minrez have done. Um, so, you know, why not? We've been uh, been pretty boring, haven't we, Howard? Compared to some of our uh, our, our peers, and yeah, the yeah, the I guess the key reason behind that is we've genuinely not wanted to take our eye off the ball. Um, you know, we're a company whom physically effectively doubled last year. You know, we've, in every respect, we you know almost um, we had a sixty percent lift in our construction. Huge leap, um, sorry, 50% lift in our production capacity this year past. Huge leap in terms of our employee count. Uh, we did our first dividends, our first capital management plan, you name it. Lots of sort of growing uh, pains as we're as quickly uh, growing as a business. So um, we've kept our efforts and uh, internally very much focused on that. Um, but meanwhile, we have started to build out that BD capacity within the business. And that, of course, started with uh, the appointment of John Stanning as our chief development officer. So he's about, um, I must be about uh, um, seven months into the role now. So in that time, very much building his team um, and starting to help us think through um, what an organic might look like for us. Um, and of course, we'll, we start to, we'll start to look at stuff as, as these opportunities come along but we're certainly in no rush. And the reason is we, you know, we don't want to take our eye off the ball. Um, as, as you alluded to earlier, um, mining has a, a long history of, of groups uh, uh, rushing transactions through and, and regretting them later. Uh, we don't want to add to that storybook. Um, however, we do want to be prepared and ready such that when the right opportunity comes along, we are positioned to, to transact and capitalize on it. And um, and let's not forget, Pilbara has had some history, um, and Altura was an acquisition. It was um, amazing. It was, it, was a, <laughs> it was a legendary acquisition. Yeah, yeah competitive process, and um, yeah, the, we were successful in getting the job done, and that's worked out very well. So um, we'd love to pull that off again. I'm not sure if that opportunity will ever present. I, I think as good an opportunity as that was, buying something at virtual replacement cost that was in production. Um, I, I, I don't know that you'll get 
as good an opportunity as that. But um, if you do M&A, are you thinking kind of early stage exploration, like, you know, album wall and, and, and Patriot or, or later stage? So just in terms of proximity to production, you know, do you have any preference? And then I'm going to ask you, like, on is how much does size matter, like resource size? Yeah, we haven't ruled out um, any of those um, sort of categories, explorer versus developer versus producer. I think um, Bilbra would have an appetite to, to consider e each and each of those categories. It's more around the specifics of, of the project. Um, of course, yeah, the Altura acquisition that was a, an operating asset. Um, um, historically, uh, Pilbara has looked at ground and, um, you know, it's a low cost entry, but of course, longer gestation. Um, and then the developer category, um, yeah, it comes with some risks, um, but um, potentially Pilbara can help de-risk those, some of those risks. So um, each category uh, has got some pluses and minuses um, and some reasons why you would participate. Um, and yeah, I think we've got an open mind to, to all of them. It's, uh, as I say, it's more around the specifics of the particular uh, project in question. Uh, very helpful. Um, I listened as well to, uh, all the MinRes presentations and it, it struck me that, uh, Chris Ellison commented that he, he looked very seriously at, at doing something in Brazil. You know, I think from a mine services point of view, um, but fundamentally couldn't get comfortable from a jurisdiction perspective there. And he also pulled out of, you know, the joint venture, um, the, where he would have invested a billion dollars in China. Um, so would you consider South America or African spodumene assets, um, as part of the M and A or are, are these, um, locations too risky and, and you'd more focus on, I think you mentioned tier one jurisdictions the last time we spoke last year, like, like Canada or Western Australia. Yeah, a strong bias is, would be towards the tier one jurisdictions. And we're conscious that, um, you know, our, our investors tell us that they, they really like Pilbara's offer to market, you know, tier one asset, tier one jurisdiction with strong operating performance. Um, so we, we, anything, we wouldn't want to do something which dilutes that offering. And I think if we were to, to step into one of those other parts of the globe, um, it probably would be perceived as dilutionary, introducing risk and, and taking away from, from the offer Pilbara has. That would be, you know, the bias that, um, that we have. I mean, do you, you share any thoughts you have on Canada Spodge, I mean, Quebec versus Ontario versus other provinces as you look at the opportunities? Yeah, no, we watch the area with interest, Howard, from afar. Um, and no, um, yeah, no, no strong, um, bias, um, to any of the particular, um, regions that you mentioned. And uh, I'd be loath to pick one out because, uh, chances are, I know, uh, an executive or two who's pushing a project in that area and they will, uh, they will call me up and have a go at me. So I pick it, <laughs> okay. I pick a favorite, so I won't, um, I'll avoid that phone call, but, um, but yeah, look, I think what's exciting is the world needs plenty of lithium. Um, and, um, some of this ground in, in North America looks great. Um, um, and you know, I watch the debates with interest around timelines for delivery and, um, you know, the expertise required to bring these to market, et cetera, et cetera. 
um, yeah, there's um, some heavy lifting to be done, but um, there's good potential and there's um, some really willing, um, smart people looking to give it a red hot crack and uh, it should all come to market in time, I'm sure. How much time, I'm, I don't know, but uh, we'll watch with interest. Okay, but uh, any thoughts on tapping the bond market in, in any uh, way in, in the next year or so? Unlikely in the near term, uh, Howard. I think we're, we've got a strong balance sheet. Um, there's no need to, to tap into any of those markets um, um, at this time. Um, yes, yeah, so it's not on the uh, um, on the to-do list in the short term. Any comment on um, the, the economy we're seeing in, in valuations paid by strategics versus what the market is um, showing us with, uh, you know, good comp decent companies even in production uh you know being hit substantially yeah no there's definitely um you know, when you step back and you, you look at the full spectrum of, of valuations you do sort of scratch your head a bit um when you look at um what's occurring out there um, and that's with not reference to any particular project there is some real um disparity uh, but to be honest i don't think too much about it um i subscribe to the sort of the Warren Buffett um, analogies of, you know, long-term, you know, the market, you know, the scales are, are a long-term weighing machine for, for, for value. And we just keep focused on getting on with the job. Um, you know, we'll continue to, to expand, continue to be that reliable producer at a low operating cost base. And then this volatile market, which sort of swings from lows to highs, um, as those highs return and all going well, that, that happens soonish. Well, we're going to continue to print these amazing returns and the margins Pilbrook can produce, um, you just can't ignore that. Um, so it seems pretty likely that the market will rightly, you know, re-rate Pilbara over time um, as a function of value creation and delivery. That's great. Um, yeah, to your point about long-term value and going back to what we uh, started at the beginning here, uh, Fortescue is a uh, 60 billion plus company. You're a 12 billion plus company. So uh, stay along for a, a five to you know seven year ride. If, if that's in store, you know, a five times uplift, that's a, a pretty good, um, you know, weighing machine for a company which has a world-class, very large and growing asset, single asset company, for the most part in Western Australia with uh, very good customers, very good partners and very good strategy, you know, um, with an, an, an incredible balance sheet. So it's a great story. And we thank you very much for uh, taking the time to update us, Dale, um, and look forward to, uh, you know, the strategic process um, in the March quarter, um, your capital allocation uh, update. Um, and, uh, you know, John, your business development guy, um, maybe you'll be on the tape with some interesting, uh, you know, M&A uh, sometime before we speak next. Thanks again. Nice to Thanks, Howard, Roddy. Really enjoyed it.